0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: Where's well, the try? And he's always
0: prepared to give it a go.
2: Off the ball on BFM 89.9.
0: Hello and welcome to Off the Ball with myself, Cam Ruslan, and our three pundits. We have Arvin Sidhu.
3: Hi, everyone. It's good to be here.
0: Great to have you. And Nicholas Anil.
1: Hello, Cam. Good to be back.
0: Great to have you. And finally, Kishnan Sundaresan.
1: Hello, hello, guys. Definitely great to be back.
0: Uh, we, have an, we have a really packed programme today. Uh, we're going to be doing World Cup draw, some Premier League, Champions League preview. Guys, let's just jump straight in. The World Cup draw has finally come out, and it, it's interesting. I was looking for a group of death. I think they, they kind of exist, but it's more like a top half knot of death and the bottom half of death. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go through each group. I'll be able to go alphabetical order from a to h and i'm gonna start with you arvin group a group a is qatar ecuador senegal netherlands i mean the dutch have got to come through that one and i don't see who else can
3: yeah, I think the Dutch are, Dutch are the favourites for this. I mean, we should always give focus to the host nation because they are the host nation to begin with. Uh, every other nation has made it through the qualifying. I think the only other nation that didn't make it was South Africa in 2010. So, But Qatar have got a tall order. They've got a tall order in this group because you've got the Dutch there who, in a way, are somewhat revitalised under Louis Van Gaal. Unfortunately, there was some news about Louis Van Hal's um, health uh, situation now, so hopefully he gets through that. Um, but then you look at the other contenders there as well. Senegal, I mean, reigning African champions, they've got that big tournament experience, you know, knocking out Egypt, uh, winning, beating Egypt twice in the finals. Um, and then you've got Ecuador, who, who finished were third in a very gruelling, comparable qualifying for the majority of time before they dropped off. So you would look at Netherlands being the obvious favourites for that one. Uh, and I think a must-see game for that one would definitely be Netherlands versus Senegal. But Senegal and Ecuador, I think, will give each other a good fight. I, I just think for Qatar, it's it's going to be really tough. When the draw came out, they probably looked at that and they said, our chances of making it to the next round are pretty slim. So for me, I, I just feel Qatar, Netherlands will get through. And Senegal, because of the run that they're currently on right now, puts them on a second favourites.
0: I don't think anyone here is going to disagree with that analysis. That's, it's got to be that, surely. Um, but, uh, Nicholas, let's go to Group B, uh, which is it's an interesting group. It's, it's the England group. It's, so there's England, Iran, USA, and then there will be a Euro playoff. So it could either be Scotland, Wales, or Ukraine. And it had to be that Iran and USA would be in the same group. I think they, I think they just are every time. Who, who, we don't know, Wales, Scotland, Ukraine, who do you think um, will come through from this group? I think if Wales come through,
2: then uh, it could make group be an extremely competitive group. Um, we are beginning to see the resurgence uh, of Wales, uh, you know, with uh, the likes of Garrett Bale, Daniel James leading the line uh they have proven themselves on the international stage as well but <clears throat> they are of course uh one of three nations that could make the the draw or the, the final draw now if you look if you look at the other three teams um your money's ultimately got to be um, on england as the perennial favorites to uh, qualify from the group of course england are always in the spotlight whenever there's a major championship um they have done well really well under gareth southgate and i think um reaching the final of uh, last year's Euros, has got to do a lot of confidence for them uh, coming into this World Cup. Um, But I would also look at USA and um, see that that resurgence of of this country who missed out on the last World Cup. Now, USA have always been one of the uh, regulars in the World Cup and and to miss out at the last edition has sort of reignited that spark. And they did really well in the qualifiers as well to come through. So I'm looking at this point, it's going to be England and USA because past uh, meetings between both sides have also been very, very tightly contested. Um, Iran, while they are Asian powerhouses, um, I don't think so they will stack up that strongly against um, any of these teams. So for me, at this point, it looks like England and USA.
0: Yeah, you know, about 20 years ago, I didn't say this to anybody. I said it just privately to myself. I said, in 20 years' time, the USA is going to win the World Cup. But I, I didn't say it out loud, so I can't be held to it. But, uh, you know, one day, one day I think that they they can. Hey, um, Kish, uh, let's let's talk about Group C, but I also want to sl- slip in another question in, in, with this one. Group C, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Gogolin thinks Argentina is going to win the World Cup. And this is a pretty tough group, but with Saudi Arabia, uh, one of three Asian I, the Asian teams, I think, have a very difficult uh, World Cup group. Uh, I don't know if any of them will get through their groups.
1: I, I honestly wouldn't put it past South Korea and Japan. I think Saudi Arabia, a bit of a stretch. Uh, they, 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 they made it to the World Cup, yes, uh, but I don't think they've got the most impressive of squads. Um, I think Qatar's the same. There's a couple of names in Qatar that have been pressed over the last few years. I think people are slightly underestimating Qatar. I'm not saying that Qatar are a sure fight to make it out of the group, but they're not as bad as people think they are. Uh, they've got a couple of pretty decent players. I think the one that stands out is al Ali, Ali, who's looked great in major tournaments, uh, including the Asian Cup in the last few years. But you, you put that aside, Japan and South Korea, I wouldn't put it past them, Cam. I think you, 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 look at, you look at the Japanese squad and, and the, the bunch of players that are playing in Europe at the moment, including uh, the group of them that are playing at Celtic, um, uh, that played a part uh, in, 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 in Ange Postakoglu's incredible team this season. There's a very strong team there. And then you look at South Korea, and you look at Son heung min uh, leading the line, and you look at what they did at the previous World Cup when they took out uh, Germany in, in, in the group stages as well. They, they have a pretty decent squad and they can cause an upset. Now, no, I'm not saying it's a surefire fire that they're going to make it out of the group. But it, they, they're a lot stronger than what people think they are. Uh, and I think Japan are definitely stronger than they were four years ago uh, at the World Cup in Russia.
0: Here's an interesting group. It's uh, Avin Group D, France. And then there'll be an IC playoff one. I think this is between UAE, Australia and Peru. Yeah. Which, which is a three-way tie. So I guess they're playing on a triangular pitch. Um, which will be fun, and so one of those, and Denmark and Tunisia. I mean, you know, Denmark are doing pretty well, but I mean, f- come on, France, France—they're not going to fail like they did in South Africa, are they?
3: Yeah, I, I don't think there's an international team that has got as much of depth of quality as the French national team. Uh, it's just whether they can get get across that Wilford downness that sometimes Didier Deschamps brings to that team. You would think that they would play more memorable type football. Uh, Denmark's on good run though. They've won nine out of their last 10 qualifiers. So they, they would probably be a close second. And Tunisia, I, I believe, have, have changed their manager after the, the Cup of Nations. So they've got a new new landscape to look at. Uh, and plenty of that squad has got playing experience in France as well. So yeah, I think this one is another group and you look at it you think France are way above the rest. Uh, Denmark and their steadiness should take them through. And then you've got the other two kind of battling on and seeing how they perform. So I think another straightforward group for this one.
0: I think the Tunisian manager, it's the second time he's been sacked before. Uh, I mean, he, he's taken a team to the World Cup and then he's gotten sacked before actually being able to play. Apparently, he's a really horrible man. Um, Nicholas, that, those four groups, um, they're, they're going to be playing against each other as the tournament progresses. This is the easier half, is it not? And we're looking at uh, standout names would be England, France. I, I think the heavy hitters are in the next group of four, aren't they?
2: Um, we are looking at Spain um, and Germany, of course. Um, now, to many, I think this would this would look like a group of death. but I'm just looking at all eight groups and, and there are plenty of competitive groups. But of the lot, you you'd have to look at this. Right. Uh, Spain, Germany, and of course Japan in the mix as well. Both both Germany and Spain are, are overwhelming favorites uh, uh, in this group, but you have to look at the dynamics of, of both nations. Now Germany, uh, under new guard, you know, there's, they are no longer under the Joachim Lowe era. You know, it's been almost two decades uh, since uh, he he guided uh, Germany, but now they've been taken over by Hansi Flick, who's done such an amazing job uh, with Bayern Munich. Um, and has started his Germany uh, reign off uh, with a fantastic start as well. So you're looking at a Germany team packed with experience, packed with uh, promising young players and an overwhelming desire to do well, especially after they missed out um, on qualifying from the group stage at the last World Cup. And uh, likewise for Spain, you know, under the the the, the, the guidance of Luis Enrique, uh, you are seeing a new breed of players, you know, a lot of them are based in Barcelona, the likes of Gavi, the likes of Pedri, Ansu Fati, Adamo Traore. You know, these are all all exciting uh, flair players uh, who provide a lot of spark for Spain. Of course, I don't I don't see them as as someone who has a focal point in terms of a striker, just like back in the days when they dominated European and and world football. But they've got plenty of players to make up for that. And uh, Japan, like Keish mentioned, you know, so many promising players in European leagues as well, making, a, making an impact. And if you look at the Japan, uh, Japanese uh, qualifiers, you know, they did really well to come through as champions yep. in such a competitive group uh, that contained uh, the likes of Australia, China, um, and yeah, they, they're gonna definitely give uh, these two uh, powerhouses
1: uh, a run for their money. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, can I can, can I just add on that that the other impressive thing about Japan is that uh if we remember that iconic game in twenty eighteen, uh when they lost I think three two to Belgium, which was like that dramatic, one of the most incredible World Cup games I've ever watched. Um they gave Belgium a complete run for their money. And and mm. following up after that tournament, they they did they've done really, really well against some of the biggest teams. Um in in the Asian Cup, they put three past Iran a team that generally does not concede more than one goal in a game. They're very tight at at the back. Um, You've looked at at Japan holding Ecuador to a one-all draw. Japan held Uruguay to a two-all draw. Um, And and more recently, I think earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken, sorry, last year, they even beat Serbia one-nil. And more recently, they put two past Australia, looked completely comfortable. So this Japanese side has enough quality in it to be able to spring a surprise and cause upsets against the big opponent. I'm, I'm actually genuinely looking forward um, to watching uh, this Japanese team at the World Cup.
0: And it must be added that uh, there'll also be a playoff uh, team in there, which could either be uh, New Zealand or Costa Rica. But, um, I mean, I don't think they're going to trouble <laughs> the <laughs> likes of it. Japan and stuff. Anyway, uh, in a moment, though, we're going to conclude the uh, our run through the World Cup draw here on Off the Ball on BFM
1: 89.9. Captain, leader, legend.
0: Off the
2: Ball on BFM 89.9.
0: And we're back. We're running through the World Cup draw. And we're now on to Group F, Arvin. Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. Uh, last last week, I think it was, uh, Kishnan described to us how Canada are, are so good they're going to win the World Cup. Um, and uh, do you agree with him?
3: No, but Canada have got some really exciting players. I'm really looking forward <laughs> to Canada's good. I, I do agree with Kishnan so to an extent. I mean, uh, we all know about Alphonso Davies at Bayern Munich, but then you think of Jonathan David at Lille as well, Ooh. such an enterprising and such an exciting young player. So I'm really glad to see them in that group, but um, obviously the golden generation of of the of the Belgian uh, national team is a little bit older now. You look at that backline. I think when you combine Toby Alderweireld and Jan van it's probably an age of about seventy. So they have got they've got a backline that they kind of need to sort out a little bit as well. Um, Croatia will always be there and thereabouts. I mean, we know the pedigree, and as long as uh, Luka Modric continues to defy age. Um, they, they will remain dangerous. Um, and then at the end of it, you've got Morocco uh, and their manager. He's been to the World Cup four times with four different teams. He's got a bit of feud happening now with Hakim Ziyech. So you kind of you need to ask yourself that question whether you are willing to go to the World Cup with potentially one of your best players. So that's an area to look out for for Morocco. Uh, so for, for me, I'm going to go out on the limb here. I, Belgium, for me, will make it through. And I somehow think Canada is going to surprise a few people. They've got some really exciting. Exciting times ahead of them, so look out for that. I kind of agree with Kish on most parts for this one.
0: But can can I ask a question of all of you? I I don't know, maybe someone knows the answer to this. Croatia, you know, have been spectacular over the years. Population of, what, 3 million or something? Quite incredible. But, you know, Luka Modric has been their key man for, like, the last 50 years. (laughs) Are, Are there new, young Croatian players coming up? filling in those it's, spaces or are we are we going to be looking at that same old team again
1: no no, no. it's it's an aging squad definitely um in a sense where it, it it was the fundamental problem even at the euros right is that you you look at their team and it's it's the same players that are coming coming on from 2018 and they're banking on them and it's not it's not a major surprise because ultimately when it comes to croatia it is a nation that's significantly smaller um so the, naturally, your, your talent pool is also slightly smaller. Uh, but that's not to say that they don't they don't have talented players coming through the system. Defensively, I think the one that has really stood out for me is the guy who plays for uh, RB Leipzig, Josko Gvardiol, who's only like 20 years old. He's been incredible at the back. Um, but but even in midfield, you look at someone like Mateo Kovac, he's only 27. He can still add a lot. You look at someone like Mario uh, uh, Pasalic, I think who plays for Atalanta, he's been great too um Nikola Vlasic who West Ham recently signed. I mean, all these guys are probably not at the level of your Rakitic and your Modric um, and your Perisic, who are the the upper echelons of, of the Croatian squad. But they're decent players and they can definitely cause cause trouble. Not probably not as good as the team that went on to the final of the World Cup in 2018 but but they're not going to be pushovers
0: either uh Malaysia's very own croatian boy on hodac who uh of of this show i asked him once you know how come they're so good he said that the the, the key to to understanding croatia is that they they love um team sport it's not just Mm. sport it's Mm. team they like being in a team and working as a team because you look that they're very good at water polo um, that's I mean, football and water polo, yeah. they're, they're two kind of sports. And they love that teamwork thing.
1: Yeah. Can, can, mm. can I also just mention, Cam, that Morocco are going to be really a team to watch the World Cup as well. They are one of the few teams that are just completely unhinged. They, they <laughs> While while most teams are out there with their intricate systems and ideas and trying to be restrained and, and could, ha, having a bit of, uh, control chaos in the team, but when it comes to Morocco, they're just unhinged. They're just players there who love expressing themselves, and most of the times, the managers, the managers just allows them to do that. And you look at this squad; it's an incredible squad, really, from, with players that are playing across La Liga, the French League, the the Premier League, even, um, and probably arguably one of the best right backs in the world, Ashraf Hakimi is there. Um, you've got Munir El Hadadi who plays for Sevilla. You've got Sofia and Bufal. You've got Youssef and Nishri. It's, it's an amazing squad. Even without Hakim Ziyech, it's still an, an, an incredible squad. So it's, it's going to be one of the most fun teams to watch. And um, as a result as well, this particular group with Canada, with Belgium, with Croatia, it's my pick for the most entertaining mm. group of, of, of the World Cup.
0: The bottom half of the, the, the draw is, is so much more interesting than the top half. And so, uh, Nicholas, we come to Group G, uh, Brazil serbia switzerland cameroon countries which have really caught the eye over the years but i think that uh switzerland is pretty resurgent these days and brazil i mean i just brazil we just we just put their names in is that is that how it works
2: yeah i think i think this is one of the most uh competitive uh, groups uh, out there you know you, you if you look at if you look at uh Group E, you have uh, Spain and Germany as, as of course, one of the overwhelming favourites. But here, um, I I wouldn't even say that Brazil are are surefire favourites to get out of the group because you're looking at at Serbia and Switzerland who have come through such an outstanding uh, qualifiers campaign. Um, Serbia had, you know, um, basically topped their group containing Portugal. And, you know, uh, they had not lost a match coming into this World Cup. And Switzerland as well, you know, who had such an excellent uh, qualifying uh, campaign. So these two countries for me would, be, would would really give Brazil a run for their money. Now, of course, Brazil are coming into this World Cup, um, having an excellent track record. They had only lost um, once, if I'm not mistaken, uh, last year. And that was at the Copa America final, only considered five goals. We've got a lot of players at the peak of their prowess. Um, Neymar, Vinicius Junior. These these two players are ultimately going to be the stars of the team. Um, but the competition that Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon will, to a certain extent, are going to provide. It's it's really going to be an exciting watch. This one.
0: well then, Harvey, can I ask you? Let's just talk a little bit more about Brazil. It's it's been a long time. I feel like since I've watched you know samba football, the the the, the free flowing, brilliant genius of a what's Ronaldinho what's going to do now? And uh, and over the years, I feel like they've become more and more as if they are managed by Sam Allardyce. Um, uh, maybe I'm exaggerating, but uh, are Brazil, the the freewheeling uh, beautiful game of old, or are they, they are they more mature now?
3: No, I think they're a bit more conservative than they used to be. I mean, if you look at the squad of players that they've got up there. I mean, the young Anthony, you've got uh, obviously Rafinha from Leeds is there as well. But they, I think the manager, in a way that he manages it, is a little bit more control. It's a bit more control chaos, so they they still do create quite a lot, uh, but it's not the free-flowing joga bonito from from, from years go by. So for me, uh, it's a very different approach to how Brazil is taking it. Um, But success is still around the corner. I mean, they they, they were in the finals in, in the Copa America. I mean, they... Yeah, they're still one of the favourites. And let's look at it this way. I mean, the most successful team in the World Cup, they will be there and thereabouts. It's just the approach is different from how it used to be. Uh,
0: speaking of most successful team in the World Cup, I, I actually was still looking through it going, oh, where's Italy? Where's Italy? And of course, they're not there. And instead, we have what must be, I think, a group of death. Uh, Kishnan, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. That's, that's a yeah. really hard, that's a hard one.
1: The narratives alone in this group, uh, Tim, I think all eyes will be on Ghana, Uruguay. Uh, if anyone remembers from the 2010 World Cup, the uh, fiasco that happened in that in that quarterfinal match between both sides with Luis Suarez, you know, uh, handling the ball towards the end, and Asamoah yeah. skying the penalty afterwards. Mm. There was a lot of tension within both countries, um, and and Ghana were ex- were left extremely frustrated because their squad that year was potentially good enough to go on and make history. Um, if they had won that game, they could have gone on to the semis. If they were in the semis, anything can happen. A final is always possible. Um, they could have been the first African side to have gone further in, in, in the tournament. And it, it was it was a very frustrating one. And it's one, one of those defeats that has left a large scar in the hearts of Ghanaian fans. And they talk about it all the time on social media. And to see that draw happen the other day, it sent shivers down my spine because Within seconds, you could see the subset of Ghanaian Twitter just exploding and you could see all these Ghanaian journalists and and football fans just going and saying that, look, we don't care if we get out of this group, we just want to beat Uruguay. That's the only thing. We want to out of the World Cup. And it, it's an incredible thing, really. So I, I, I genuinely can't wait uh, for the Ghana-Uruguay match. I think it's going to be fireworks all over the park. Um, but of course, there's, there's Portugal as well. Um, and, and Cristiano Ronaldo has got this fiery determination to make it count. Like, he wants that World Cup. He wants it by hook or crook. Uh, he knows that there's still this raging debate between him and, and, and Lionel Messi. Messi knows it. He knows it as well. And he knows that winning the World Cup um, will end that debate. Do I think one of them has got to be the World Cup to be, to be the greatest ever player? Probably not. But that's what the world seems to think. And he knows that. And so if Portugal win the World Cup, the debate is over, right? And, and that's exactly what Cristiano Ronaldo wants. So when you've got a, a, a fully fired up Ronaldo, you've got narratives like the Ghana-Uruguay rivalry, and you've got Son Heung-Min, uh, and an extremely talented South Korean side, uh, I completely agree with you, Kim. This this is probably going to be one of the toughest groups of the World Cup. You know what
0: I got from that is that your dedication to sports journalism is such that you um, you have a Ghana football Twitter feed that, <laughs> <laughs> that you uh, do you have others? I'm, I mean, are you no, like? No,
1: no, I, I've got a couple of friends, ex colleagues, so are Ghanaian right. writers and journalists.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of that because I thought that uh, Ghana team was the best African team. I'd ever seen, but they couldn't. They couldn't really score goals. They didn't. They never really looked like they were going to score goals. But they, other than they were fantastic. Other than that, other than the fact they couldn't score goals. I,
1: I, I, I mean, if you look at the current Ghanaian team. It's still the same problem, Cam. Um, I'm hmm. not quite sure where the goals are going to come from. They've got an incredibly talented midfield: Thomas Pate and Kudus from Ajax. But now there are talks that uh, Inaki Williams, who plays for Athletic Bilbao um, in Spain. Who is obviously played for the under twenty ones of Spain and whatever? He's twenty eight now. Decent striker. Uh, he might play for Ghana at the World Cup. There, are talks that are ongoing. So if he comes in, then that adds valuable five firepower.
0: Okay, well let's let's wrap this up by asking uh, the big question: Who's going to win? And uh, or let's you know who's going to get the semi-finals? I think that the, the 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 top half of the the draw I think is easier, as it were, than the bottom half. But I mean, what kind of teams do you see standing out?
3: There are some favourites that I think will be... If they've shown themselves in qualifi- qualification, they've shown themselves in recent performances, I wouldn't bet against the likes of um, the likes of France, the likes of Brazil. I think they will be there and thereabouts. Um, England have to deliver. I, I, I believe that this is one of the most talented squads they've had in a long, long time. Uh, it's just a matter of whether Gareth Southgate will be adventurous about this team. Um, so for me... England have got have got a chance uh, and if you look at the history of the Euros and the World Cup teams that continuously build from going to semis to finals you would think that eventually they would they would get one and the last two England performances have shown that they've been able to get to that level so for me that's 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 important but um, from the group of death, I, I, when I looked at that draw, and I know I agree, there's so much narratives for me. But for me, it's just like a group of aging rock stars that are just coming together <laughs> for one last tour. I mean, you look at Ronaldo, Suarez, Cavani, Diego Godín. They're just all these old timers coming back and saying, "Let's go with one last hurrah." So that's a that's a very exciting group. But so those are some of the names that I would think would, would definitely make it far enough.
0: Uh, Nicholas, actually, I just want to say a couple of a few World Cups ago, uh, there was a BFM. Draw, we charted out. And um, and I came second uh, in, in predicting the... the uh, producer Daryl came first, if I remember rightly. And uh, so I, I got some pedigree here. I think I can spot a, a winner. I'm, I'm just going to go and say England. But, Nicholas, what do you think?
2: I, I just want to highlight the importance of this World Cup camp.
0: This is going to be the
2: last World Cup in this format, as we know it, before it moves on to a more commercial, more money-making, more inclusive World Cup this is the last World Cup with the participation of 32 teams. So these are the teams that have, you know, sweat, blood, tears and, and everything, put everything to get here. After this, it's, it's going to be a completely different ballgame. There's going to be open participation for for representation from other countries, most notably Asia, who are going to be getting way more slots. I think double than what they are getting already now. And and this World Cup being hosted in a single city, we're not going to see any more World Cups being hosted in a single city after this, because of the sheer uh, volume of participation of countries is going to be hosted in various different uh, countries. Again, going back to the commercialization and, and the money-making uh, profitability that it could bring. I think this is a World Cup to be cherished. This is a World Cup to be remembered. And like both the guys mentioned earlier, this is a World Cup that is going to be converging some of the world's best players, perhaps uh, you know seeing action for the last time at the world's grandest stage, and hopefully going blow to blow to try and get the biggest prize in world football. Uh, I, for one, can't wait for it. And even the timing suits Malaysian uh, timing mm. perfectly. So I think there's going to be a lot of interest from the Asian region uh, with regards to this World Cup. And I think there's going to be a lot of interest uh, even uh, from uh, people from this continent to head over to Qatar because it's not too far away.
0: What I like there, Nicholas, is that you know, it's going to become more money-making. So these are the simple, innocent times now in uh FIFA land.
1: <laughs> not, not too innocent, is it, Cam? No, not oh, too innocent. <laughs> situation with, with migrant workers in Qatar and the human yeah. rights abuses.
0: Absolutely. Lokish, uh, very quickly, choose a winner.
1: Um, my heart wants Argentina because um, obviously I want that debate between Messi and Ronaldo to, to, to end in Messi's favour. That's my heart. But my head is telling me that, look, this could be Brazil's year. It's, it's mm. a very restrained team, that conceded five goals only in the qualifiers while scoring 40-plus. Rarely do you look at a Brazil team and think that their midfield of Fabinho, Casemiro, Bruno Guimaraes, and Fred are the stars. Um, And these are all very modern, uh, progressive, uh, restrained midfielders, not the Joga Bonito expressive types. Um, It's a very different Brazilian team and and I think they're really going to surprise people at the World Cup. They've got what it takes to win the World Cup.
0: OK, OK, business as usual then, basically. We're going to come back to the World Cup, gosh, I don't know, November or something. So uh, so that'll be the World Cup for now. And in a moment, though, we're going to come back uh, to what Bob Holmes calls real football, Premier League, uh, here on Off the Ball on BFM
1: 89.9. Because whilst he's there, it's very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off
2: the Ball on BFM 89.9.
0: And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Nicholas Anil, Arvin Sidhu, and Kishnan Sundarisan. And now we are going to be doing uh, talking about some, just some of the matches that happened over the weekend in um, the Premier League. Uh, Premier League being pushed to the back, relegated. <laughs> uh, I, and I want to start, Arvin, I want to start with you. And um, we're not, I'm, not going to give, I'm not going to let you talk about Leeds. I want to talk about a, a, a really strange match. It, it's not a sexy scoreline. Manchester United won. Leicester won. Uh, Manchester United, were, it was the. It was a very strange performance. Gary Neville said United are not a pressing team, they're depressing. I don't know, what's I, I, what's going, what, what? I don't
3: know. I, you ask me, I, I don't know where to start. That's the thing. You just don't know where to start. I mean, one win out of four, the last Premier League games. They need the momentum, but they look sluggish. This United team looks sluggish. They look like they just can't wait. For the season to come to an end. While you see the likes of Arsenal and you see the likes of Tottenham, you see the likes of West Ham, you see the likes of Wolves going for it, this team looks like they just want the season to come to an end. You if you look at if you look at the overall win ratio of Ralph Ragnick compared to Oleguna Sosha this season, it's not that much difference. I think Ralph Ragnick has probably got like a 1.2% more than Oleguna Sosha. Yes, he has made some changes and you can see it on the pitch, but at the end of the day, it's, it's results. And I think he himself realises now that when they're interviewing the likes of Eric Ten Hag, they They probably will interview Marisha Pochettino in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, that he's not the man to continue this. He will move up to that consultancy role. But they're three points from fourth place. Arsenal have got two games in hand. And that's a really scary record. They've not won a single game this season when Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't started. I, I, so for me, when you look at all those things that they have, and when you have, obviously, sometimes when you have the ex-pros coming out, the likes of Gary Neville, the likes of Owen Hargreaves, the likes of Rio Paine, and it doesn't help because sometimes when you come up with such criticism like that, players take it on their shoulders and there's a lot of influence in the club. But continuously, the results are just not there. I, I don't get the, the notion of playing Bruno Fernandes in that that focal point, number nine, false nine role. I don't get that. I get Marcus Rashford has had issues. I, I get it. Mason Greenwood is not around because for obvious reasons. But you play players into their positions and again, David De Gea will be their their player of the season again, either him or Fred. And Gea's save from that Madison header was was fantastic. So they were made to work for that draw, and um, they just looked like a team that wants the season to come to an end, in my view.
0: You know, I was going to keep all of you away from your your own personal teams, but I kind of see this look of such sadness on Kiechnan's face when talking about Manchester United. I, I got to go to him. And no, um, it's... <laughs>
1: It's uh, <laughs> like the, the, some of the stats that I been through just like I think those stats don't necessarily paint the right kind of picture. I mean, I mean, come on, you you would know that winning That's percentage, winning per, winning percentages <laughs> don't describe. Winning percentages don't necessarily describe how good a manager is. Marcelo Bielsa is a lot better than his winning percentages at Leeds would ever suggest, yeah, and Ralph Reitnick is a pretty, is a is a much better manager than his winning percentages would indicate. It's, let's, you look let's, at his. Let's, managers, let's ask the question: Has Ralph
3: Rennick's appointment been a successful yeah. one? No, but, but, but let's ask. To get
1: them into the top four spot, let's ask the bigger question: Which is, is Ralph Rennick the guy to bring short-term success when his entire career has always built built upon long-term projects? So, do I think this is Ralph regnick's fault? No. If you're Man United and you appoint Ralph regnick and you expect miracles in a period of six months, then that's, that's always going to cause you issues. But that does not mean Ralph regnick has not improved the team. You, you you look at players like Fred being unleashed into a position that he's finally excelling in like he does with, the, with Brazil, right, at, 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 at international stage. You look at how he's utilising Diego Dalo on the flanks. The problem with Ralph with regnick's tenure at Man United is that since he's coming. He's had COVID issues with players. He's had the Mason-Greenwood scandal. He's not had Edinson Cavani available at his disposal. He's not been back at the January transfer window, not had the opportunity to bring in a single defensive midfielder to provide balance. Now, do I think there are issues with Ratnik's tactics itself? Perhaps. Do I think he is to be blamed for Man United entirely? No, because this entire United team is dysfunctional from the top. You've got players like Paul Pogba who's going away in international duty and talking about why he doesn't want to play for Man United anymore. You've mm-hmm. got Marcus Rashford looking completely lost up front. And, and, and you've got so many players. You've got Harry Maguire who is struggling for United but done well for England but goes to international duty, gets booed by the England fans. So it's a squad that is under severe pressure. It's a squad that is not stepping up to the task that they have at, at hand barring a few players. And when you look at the higher ups, and you've got to wonder what, what on earth are they doing? Simple example, Cam. Simple example: Arin and 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 um, Nicholas. You you have not appointed a new manager. You're still negotiating with different names, and yet you go and extend Bruno Fernandez's contract by at least three to four years. For what? What if the new manager does not want him? What if the new manager does not like a player like Bruno leading the lineup? That's my point. It's a dysfunctional club from top to bottom, and and the reflection of it you're seeing in, in terms of the results at the moment. It, it, it's very easy to just pin this blame on Ralph Ragnick um, on 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 the appointment of him, but I think the problems go way way deeper than just that.
2: So, so I, I, Kishi, I, let me let me let me just jump in here. Um, I I agree with all, all that you're saying. Uh, there is a bigger problem. Ralph Ragnick is is thrown into a predicament where he's got a. Um, is sort of um, um, swim or, or, or try and, and, and not sink and, and, and bring bring the club down to an even a lower level. But moving forward next season, now you've got this bunch of candidates right, who are being interviewed. How is this going to help Ralph Ranick make the right decision? And also because he's going to be the intermediary between new men and management, how is he going to sort of get these new men acclimatized to deal with all these external issues? And at the same time, get the club start performing and challenging for titles. Because at the end of the day, that's what United fans want. They do not want to see a club languishing at seven spot. They they want immediate success. And that's the, the foundation of how the club has been built for such a long time.
0: Okay. And, uh, and, and,
1: sorry.
0: We we can't we can't give a whole show to Manchester United. And and, and, and <laughs> Tishana, I think I think we gave you a good mental health moment there, an opportunity to really vent and, and not just uh, at the TV which is presumably what you're doing when you're watching Manchester United play. By the way, uh, you were talking about a short-term manager. Who, who would be a good short-term manager? If you, like a Neil Warnock, is, it? is that what you're saying? <laughs> who, 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 who gives you a short-term shock? I, I,
1: I, we, when you look at the players at Man United and, and, and the kind of attitudes that they have in general, I don't think there's a short-term manager that comes in, no. barring, barring some of your biggest names, like your, like your Thomas Stuckels and your Jurgen Klopp's and your Lewis's and Luis Enrique's. I don't think there's a guy that instantly comes in and, and salvages this team. It's incredibly imbalanced compared to all the other competitors who are pushing for the top four spot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the happy story of Manchester United. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, okay, let's talk about another story. Um, Arvin, Newcastle 5, New, sorry, Newcastle 5, Spurs <laughs> Spurs 5, Newcastle United 1. It's It's not a it's a it's a consequential match i mean spurs are in with a shout at the top four spot and i caught my eye because because harry kane was not amongst the scorers <clears throat> it that that kind of thing that always befuddles me is like why is he playing so deep kind of sort of made sense to me a bit more you had these wingbacks going on but also he was like a decoy uh, arvin i mean is are we going to see kane score fewer goals and other people score the goals for him instead
3: I think Kane will always be be there with the goals. I mean, his record is up there with, with Son. But Conte will be really happy. I mean, five different scorers closing in on the top four. Um, uh, they've leapfrogged Arsenal, at least temporarily, until Arsenal play later tonight. They've done a double over Newcastle. And and he's come out and said that he's happy now because no one wants to play against us at this moment because it's not easy to play against Spurs. So that's kind of like in the, the the image that Conte likes his teams to be built around. Um, I was reading something that since he's come over, only Man City and Liverpool have got more points in the league. And that's setting very high standards already. I mean, you look at that, that he delivers when he's required to deliver. And in the January window, he got it right. He got players that came in that have proven to be able to come into that squad and take over positions of other players. You look at Rodrigo Benteco, you look at Dejan Kuleveski. They've come in and now they're starting players. Harry Wings, unfortunately, lost his place. And then up front, Dejan gave would take over Lucas Moura, Steven Bergwijn position as well. So he's got it right in that aspect. And they went a goal down and they came back and and, and they roared back. So for me, really good things. It's just, I always think with Conte, does his ambition, which is very grand, match what Spurs can give him at the end of the season? That's all. It's whether Conte is too big. No no manager should be too big for a club, in my opinion. But when it comes to the resources, when it comes to the project, when it comes to signing players, is Conte's expectations and Spurs' expectations not at the same wavelength? So for me, that's the only thing that Spurs have to be concerned about come season end. But they're in a very good shot to be in the top four and it'll be a really good turnaround for, for Spurs if he manages to bring them
0: to that. Um, do you think they can get the top four? Yeah,
3: no, I think they're in there with Arsenal.
0: I think yeah. they yeah. But United, no?
3: No. Uh, and, and and in a way, I kind of agree with 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 Keish that if, if the United board felt that they didn't need a yes man and they got someone like Conte in, I think he would have sorted things out much more at at at, at United. But I
1: get why they didn't go for him because he comes. United. Uh, uh, oh, uh, at Conte at Spurs. No, 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 talking,
0: <laughs>
1: oh, uh, Spurs. Okay, okay, okay. Spurs. Yeah. yeah. And you look at Conte, at Spurs, and one of the biggest assets, one of the biggest things that has helped them are the two players that came in in January, yeah. Lukasewski and Bentenka, right? And if Conte wasn't back in January, I don't think Spurs um, turn around the season the way they have. I think he still improves them, but I don't think they, they bounce back the way they have. Because Kulishevsky has been absolutely incredible for them since, since joining them. I think he's got like five assists or something like that. He's added that balance to that, to that front three. Something that Conte has always wanted um, was a bit of balance on uh, up front. And Kulisevsky provides that incredible player.
0: There is so much football to go through that we're going to just only do three Premier League matches, one of which hasn't even happened yet. Uh, Nicholas, we're talking about the, the top four spots here. Arsenal um, are going to be playing Crystal Palace. This Arsenal season has been nothing short of spectacular, really. I uh, At the beginning of the season, I was saying Arteta are out. I'm not even an Arsenal fan, but I was going to hire a plane to fly over. Crystal Palace could slip them up, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not... Uh, a London derby, you know, um, you have the narrative of uh, Patrick Vieira going back to his former hunting ground where, you know, he's celebrated as one of the uh, most successful, most accomplished, most combative uh, midfielders ever. Um, so, you know, there's a lot riding on this match. not so much for Crystal Palace, of course, more for Arsenal. Um, and I think it'll be a tightly contested affair. Um, I think just based on form, um, just alone on form, um, you've got to give it to Arsenal, you know. Um, you look at how Arteta has is handled and, and maneuvered uh, the team from such a terrible start, you know, at the start of the season, and you know he's 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 brought in players that could seriously, uh, you know, made the team so much better. Um, and and now they are they are it's it, the fourth spot is pretty much the ask to lose. So you know if they win this match, they're gonna overtake Spurs and get into fourth. And then they've got another game in hand to consolidate that fourth spot. I think that's all the impetus that Arsenal needs at this point. And, and bearing in mind, if you look at, at the top of the table, right, uh, these four or five teams, Arsenal are the only team uh, without uh, European commitment. So they've only got the league to concentrate on. Uh, it will be a tough match against Crystal Palace, but, but I foresee an Arsenal win.
0: OK, I'll tell you what, one minute, Arvin, you've got one minute. Leeds won, Southampton won. Are Leeds safe?
3: 75 eight percent safe, yeah. They've got a big game against Watford this weekend, so they need to get something from that. Uh, but they're doing well. Uh, they bid 7 points out of 9. That is mid-table form. So, got a couple of tough games also end of the season, but I, Leeds are safe in mind. My-
0: so, the bottom three are the bottom three, and they're the ones who are going? Not necessarily. We're, we're Not all necessary. in agreement here?
1: Everton. Everton are going to go down. Yeah, Everton.
0: Really? God. I cannot get my head around the idea of Everton going down. There, Just,
1: there's, a big, there's a big game this Thursday. I think it's Everton-Burnley. That's Burnley. Big one. Oh, uh, all right, all that's right. the relegation final scrap.
0: Well, from Everton-Burnley, uh, we go from one extreme to the other. We're going to be talking Champions League in the final part of Off the Ball here on BFM
1: 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time. But coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City.
2: Off the Ball on BFM 89.9.
0: And we're back on off the ball and we are in our final part. And we're now jumping over to preview time. It's, uh, some champions league matches coming up this week, way past my bedtime, but I think the guys will be probably staying up to watch. Let's start with, uh, you, Kishnan. And, um, uh, you, you talked about Atletico Madrid before, but let's talk about Benfica. Benfica v Liverpool. Do you think that Benfica could possibly cause trouble for for this Liverpool?
1: Most Liverpool fans, that when they saw this draw being made, I think they, they immediately had PTSD of the uh, of the game uh, that happened back in two thousand and six, was it or two thousand and five, when a Simao Sabrosa played that incredible role in getting. Benfica, a 2-0 win at Anfield. Um, and they got and they won the tie 3-0 on aggregate. Yes, it was 2006 because they knocked out uh, the reigning champions, Liverpool. But this time around, it's going to be completely different. Because on paper, um, Liverpool are significantly better. They've got a significantly better squad. Um, they, they, they definitely look much more informed. Um, though in recent times, they've stuttered here and there a little bit, Liverpool. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's the, the, it's their tie to lose. But having said that, I don't think Jurgen Klopp and the team will be underestimating this Benfica side. Uh, they've got experience um, with Jan Vertonghen, Otamendi, an unlikely centre-back partnership at the back. They've got Adel Taarab. It it almost feels like it's a group of ex-pros who just decided to come together, form a team, and let's just play football because this is what it, what what it's like at the moment. Um, so, do I think you can underestimate Benfica? No. But do I think they're strong enough to knock Liverpool out of the tournament? Probably no as well
0: I mean I mean, Liverpool are coming back to their to their best really aren 't they? Uh, they this is This is looking like a champions League winning squad uh, they're a point behind in the league and which could be a very hard proposition to catch up on but nicholas do you, do you think that they're, that that we 're talking about Liverpool as being a a shoe in for champions League winners?
2: I think we are at a stage of the season where. Every match is um, is a, a moment, a, a gigantic, uh, a, a must-win match, uh, especially for a team like Liverpool. You you have to remember that after this Benfica match, they've got the top of the table clash against Man City at the weekend. Mm. So um, there could be some changes to the squad as well. You know, keeping bearing in mind that uh, of that Man City match to come. So um, of course, Liverpool are going to go into this match as favourites. They have been unbeaten in the longest time. Everybody's playing well. You know, you look at players who are coming into the squad. Um, the, the likes of Joe Gomez, for me, was outstanding the other day against Watford, you know. Um, and then you've got Diego Jota, who's who's been such a revelation for Liverpool. So, on paper, they are the outstanding favourites. But this is the Champions League. Um, anything could happen. And I think that...
0: The changes that Jürgen
2: Klopp might make for this match may give Benfica a shout.
0: I'm going to jump a day ahead uh, for you, Arvin, because I want to ask you about your second team. Are they your second team? Um, Because it's going to be uh, Chelsea versus Real Madrid. Chelsea lost, amazingly, lost 4-1 to Brentford over the weekend. So who's going to win this one?
3: It's a tough one. Because Real are limping towards the La Liga title. They've been winning, but they haven't been convincing. They they got a little bit fortuitous against Celta Vico at Vallados over the weekend. Uh, They're really depending on the brilliance of Karim Benzema, just like you saw in the previous round against PSG. He's the top scorer across Europe right now. Uh, when, you, when Karim doesn't score, um, uh, Madrid struggle. Uh, Vinicius had a very, very good first half of the season, but it seems to have boiled off a little bit. So... I, in my opinion, Madrid are a better squad than they were last season when they played Chelsea. Last season when they had Chelsea, they had to rush back the likes of Sergio Ramos at the back, and they struggle. But this tie across both of them will be won in midfield. It's really that, that, that Claude Makalele... I mean, that Claude, Claude Makalele. Makalele and Kante just sometimes...
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah
3: you've got the N'Golo Kante... Oh, and- <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got the N'Golo Kante against um, the likes of Modric, Cruz and Casimiro. Casimiro missed the game against PSG, but he's back. So, Real have to win that, that tie. Uh, Chelsea are struggling to score goals, though. Um, so, Madrid's defence is a bit better. So, uh, I just feel Madrid will get through this. They, they they haven't beaten Chelsea in any competitive games. That's due a change, in my opinion.
0: What, ever? Ever? Yeah,
3: never. In a competitive match, never. Madrid's never beaten
0: Chelsea. Ah, so. oh, OK. Um, you know, uh, Keish, we were talking earlier about a, uh, a manager who could come in and do a short, sharp shock at... Uh, at Manchester United, that man would be Diego Simeone.
1: No, no, Cam. definitely not. <laughs> you, you <laughs> I, he,
0: he, no, come on, he, he is what they need. United is not is not what they used to be. He's
1: absolutely not what they need, Cam.
0: <laughs> okay, so Ma- Manchester City versus Atletico Madrid. Yeah. Um, kishna
1: this is this is going to be a, an incredibly entertaining tie, uh, only because I can imagine. I can imagine a reality in which Atletico Madrid completely suppress this Man City side and sneak out a a, a slim victory over two legs, right? But at the same time, it is not entirely impossible to imagine a reality in which Man City completely unpick this Atletico Madrid defence and that that low block that that Diego Simeone uh, really, really likes. Um, So that that could happen. Um, So it's going to be an extremely exciting tie. Um, We're going to see similar patterns like we saw in the previous um, stage of the tournament where Atletico Madrid just sat deep, the difference would be that Man United did not have the ability to pick apart a side like Atletico Madrid, whilst Man City do have you know, that that sort of weapon available at, 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 at their disposal. Um, but going back to Diego Simeone, Cam, do you know how much he earns? Recently, it was revealed that he is the highest-paid manager in Europe and he makes yeah. approximately... Um, 3.3 million euros a month
0: wow.
1: and that that puts him at about 800,000 euros a week more than oh the best players in Europe earn and that's wow. ridiculous and that's probably why no club are ever going to try and poach Simeone from Andatic Madrid because nobody's going to be able to afford wages like that for a manager
0: that's that's more than I can't think of are think there any players than, who get more yeah, than that,
1: that I, I, are there? Yeah, I think from I think a base salary than, perspective,
0: it's definitely more. It's more than Ronaldo. It's more than, yeah, it's more than everyone, yeah. That's remarkable. Okay. So, yeah, okay. So, sorry, Kishan, you're not going to be getting Diego Simeone anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're still getting, keeping your fingers crossed that Johan Cruyff can be uh, uh, somehow DNA transplant or something, is it? I don't know. Um, uh, Nicholas, our final match then is Villar- Villarreal and perennial Champions League. They're always there. Bayern Munich.
2: Yeah. Um, another tough one to call. Now, this this match, um, I think, uh, will, will be too hard to call based on the first league because both teams are European heavyweights. Villarreal are perennial winners in the Europa League. But now in the Champions League, they have also done really well. They're coming off a great victory over Juventus. Um And so they're going to be looking to take the game to Bayern Munich at home. Now, key to this is, of course, stopping Robert Lewandowski. He's the main man. He's got over 40 goals. Um, And if he can take some stopping, uh, Villarreal should be able to get some goals to take to Germany. Uh, But having said that, Bayern Munich are a different class altogether. You know, in the league, they they are sauntering towards Bundesliga title. You know, they have been racking up goals for fun. Uh, at the weekend, they won 4-1, um, and recently they destroyed uh, RB uh, Salzburg 7-1. They've also destroyed uh, Barcelona at home. So, you know, these are a team, this is a team that only knows how to win, but you're facing a Villarreal side who could cause you a lot of problems on on, on their day and are playing at home.
0: I foresee a, a draw in the first leg. Okay. Hey, uh, uh, answer me this then. Um, do you like seeing so many teams from one country at this late stage in the Champions League. Three English teams, Arvin, kind of clogging it all up. I mean, there have been times where it's like four.
3: But it's just the strength of the league, really, right? How they've been improving. You've got three English, you've got two Spanish. Uh, I think the Italians are the ones that have suffered in Europe for a while. So I think it's in the balance of the strength of the league of what we're seeing happening domestically. So it it is what it is, but it makes for for great viewing, regardless. I mean, you look at the side, that that city have got Atletico, Liverpool. Atletico, they've got Liverpool again. So it makes for great great viewing at
0: this time of the season. Okay. Well we have to come to an end. But I Kish very quickly then, who's gonna win? Champions League?
1: That's a rough one. I mean, my money will be on Liverpool. Okay. I I think they're really strong enough to win it this season.
0: Nicholas? And City. City? Okay. And Arvin.
3: Man City to win it, Liverpool to win the league, in my
0: opinion. Right. Oh well. Okay. Um, all right, so well that brings us to the end of this week's Off the Ball. And uh, that was a lot of football. And so it only reminds me now to thank Arvin Sidhu.
3: Thank you, everyone. Have a
0: good week. Nicholas Anil.
2: This time, have a good week, everyone.
0: And Kishnan Sundaresan, who's now going to check out his Ghana football Twitter feed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Enjoy the football.
0: Okay, and uh, see you on Friday here for on the Ball. But for now, it's Off the Ball. BFM 89.9. Where's the try. And he's always prepared to give it a go.
2: Off the ball on BFM 89.9.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my
1: or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.